0: Chapter Nine of Margaret Fuller, Marquesa Ossoli, by Julia Ward Howe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Margaret's residence at the Greeley Mansion, appearance in New York society, visits to women imprisoned at Sing Sing and on Blackwell's Island, letters to her brothers, woman in the 19th century, essay on American literature, view of contemporary authors we have no very full record of margaret's life beneath the roof of the greeley mansion the information that we can gather concerning it seems to indicate that it was on the whole a period of rest and of enlargement true her task-work continued without intermission and her incitements to exertion were not fewer than in the past but the change of scene and of occupation gives refreshment if not repose to minds of such activity and margaret accustomed to the burden of constant care and anxiety was now relieved from much of this she relied much and with reason both upon mr greeley's judgment and upon his friendship the following extract from a letter to her brother eugene gives us an inkling as to her first impressions the place where we live is old and dilapidated but in a situation of great natural loveliness when there i am perfectly secluded yet every one i wish to see comes to see me and i can get to the centre of the city in half an hour here is all affection for me and desire to make me at home and i do feel so which could scarcely have been expected from such an arrangement my room is delightful how i wish you could sit at its window with me and see the sails glide by as to the public part that is entirely satisfactory I do just as i please and as much and as little as i please and the editors express themselves perfectly satisfied and others say that my pieces tell to a degree i could not expect i think too i shall do better and better i am truly interested in this great field which opens before me and it is pleasant to be sure of a chance at half a hundred thousand readers the enlargement spoken of above was found by margaret in her more varied field of literary action and in the society of a city which had even at that date a cosmopolitan semi-european character new york has always with a little grumbling conceded to boston the palm of literary precedence in spite of this there has always been a good degree of friendly intercourse among its busy litterateurs and artists who find in the more vivid movement and wider market of a larger city a compensation if not an equivalent for its distance from the recognized centers of intellectual influence in these circles margaret was not only a welcome but a desired guest in the salons of the time she had the position of a celebrity here as elsewhere her twofold magnetism strongly attracted some and repelled others somewhat hypercritical and pedantic she was judged to be by those who observed her at a distance or heard from her only a chance remark such an observer admiring but not approaching saw at times the look of the sibyl flash from beneath margaret's heavy eyelids and once hearing her sigh deeply after a social evening was moved to ask her why alone as usual was margaret's answer with one or two pathetic words the remembrance of which brought tears to the eyes of the person to whom they were spoken in these days she wrote in her journal there comes a consciousness that i have no real hold on life no real permanent connection with any soul i seem a wandering intelligence driven from spot to spot that i may learn all secrets and fulfil a circle of knowledge this thought envelops me as a cold atmosphere from this chill isolation of feeling margaret was sometimes relieved by the warm appreciation of those whom she had truly found of whom one could say to her you come like one of the great powers of nature harmonizing with all beauty of the solar of the earth you cannot be discordant with anything that is true or deep other neighbors and of a very different character had margaret in her new surroundings the prisons at blackwell's island were on the opposite side of the river at a distance easily reached by boat sing sing prison was not far off and margaret accepted the invitation to pass a sunday within its walls she had consorted hitherto with the elite of her sex the women attracted to her having invariably been of a superior type she now made acquaintance with the outcasts in whom the elements of womanhood are scarcely recognized for both she had one gospel that of high hope and divine love she seems to have found herself as much at home in the office of encouraging the fallen as she had been when it was her duty to arouse the best spirit in women sheltered from the knowledge and experience of evil by every favoring circumstance this was in the days in which judge edmonds had taken great interest in the affairs of the prison mrs farnham a woman of uncommon character and ability had charge of the female prisoners who already showed the results of her intelligent and kindly treatment on the occasion of her first visit margaret spoke with only a few of the women and says that the interview was very pleasant these women were all from the lowest haunts of vice yet nothing could have been more decorous than their conduct while it was also frank all passed indeed much as in one of my boston classes this last phrase may somewhat startle us but it should only assure us that margaret had found in confronting two circles so widely dissimilar the happy words which could bring high and low into harmony with the true divine margaret's second visit to the prison was on the christmas soon following She was invited to address the women in their chapel and has herself preserved some record of her discourse which was extemporaneous seated at the desk no longer with the critical air which repelled the timid but deeply penetrated by the pathos of the occasion she began with the words to me the pleasant office has been given of wishing you a happy christmas and the sad assembly smiled murmuring its thanks what a christ-like power was that which brought this sungleam of a smile into that dark tragedy of offence and punishment some passages of this address must be given here to show the attitude in which this truly noble woman confronted the most degraded of her sex after alluding to the common opinion that women once lost are far worse than abandoned men and cannot be restored she said it is not so i know my sex better it is because women have had so much feeling and such a rooted respect for purity that they seem so shameless and insolent when they feel that they have erred and that others think ill of them when they meet man's look of scorn the desperate passion that rises is a perverted pride which might have been their guardian angel rather let me say which may be for the rapid improvement wrought here gives us warm hopes margaret exhorts the prisoners not to be impatient for their release she dwells upon their weakness the temptations of the outer world and the helpful character of the influences which are now brought to bear upon them oh be sure that you are fitted to triumph over evil before you again expose yourselves to it Instead of wasting your time and strength in vain wishes, use this opportunity to prepare yourselves for a better course of life when you are set free. The following sentences are also noteworthy. Let me warn you earnestly against acting insincerely. I know you must prize the good opinion of your friendly protectors, but do not buy it at the cost of truth. Try to be, not to seem never despond never say it is too late fear not even if you relapse again and again if you fall do not lie grovelling but rise upon your feet once more and struggle bravely on and if aroused conscience makes you suffer keenly have patience to bear it god will not let you suffer more than you need to fit you for his grace cultivate this spirit of prayer i do not mean agitation and excitement but a deep desire for truth purity and goodness margaret visited also the prisons on blackwell's island and walking through the women's hospital shed the balm of her presence upon the most hardened of its wretched inmates she had always wished to have a better understanding of the feelings and needs of those women who are trampled in the mud to gratify the brute appetites of men in order to lend them a helping hand the following extracts from letters hitherto in great part unpublished will give the reader some idea of margaret's tender love and care for the dear ones from whom she was now separated the letters are mostly addressed to her younger brother richard and are dated in various epochs of the year eighteen forty five one of these recalls her last impressions in leaving boston the last face i saw in boston was anna loring's looking after me from dr peabody's steps mrs peabody stood behind her some way up nodding adieu to the darling as she addressed me somewhat to my emotion they seemed like a frosty november afternoon and a soft summer twilight when night's glorious star begins to shine When you go to Mrs. Loring's, will you ask W. Storey if he has any of Robert Browning's poems to lend me for a short time? They shall be returned safe. I only want them for a few days to make some extracts for the paper. They cannot be obtained here. The following extracts refer to the first appearance of her book, Woman in the Nineteenth Century. Her brother Eugene had found a notice of it in some remote spot. She writes it was pleasant you should see that little notice in that wild place the book is out and the theme of all the newspapers and many of the journals abuse public and private is lavished upon its views but respect is expressed for me personally but the most speaking fact and the one which satisfied me is that the whole edition was sold off in a week to the booksellers and eighty-five dollars handed to me as my share not that my object was in anywise money but i consider this the signet of success if one can be heard that is enough in august eighteen forty five she writes thus to richard i really loathe my pen at present it is entirely unnatural to me to keep at it so in the summer looking at these dull blacks and whites so much when nature is in her bright colors is a source of great physical weariness and irritation i cannot therefore write you good letters but am always glad to get them as to what you say of my writing books that cannot be at present i have not health and energy to do so many things and find too much that i value in my present position to give it up rashly or suddenly but doubt not as i do not that heaven has good things enough for me to do and that i shall find them best by not exhausting or overstraining myself to richard she writes some months later i have to-day the unexpected pleasure of receiving from england a neat copy of woman in the nineteenth century republished there in clark's cabinet library i had never heard a word about it from england and am very glad to find it will be read by women there as to advantage to me the republication will bring me no money but will be of use to me here as our dear country folks look anxiously for verdicts from the other side of the water i shall get out a second edition before long i hope and wish you would translate for me and send those other parts of the story of panthea that you thought i might like the extract subjoined will show margaret's anxious thought concerning her mother's comfort and welfare it is addressed to the same brother whom she thus admonishes she speaks of you most affectionately but happened to mention that you took now no interest in a garden i have known you would do what you have thought of to be a good son and not neglect your positive duties but i have feared you would not show enough of sympathy with her tastes and pursuits care of the garden is a way in which you could give her genuine comfort and pleasure while regular exercise in it would be of great use to yourself do not neglect this nor any the most trifling attention she may wish because it is not by attending to our friends in our way but in theirs that we can really avail them i think of you with much love and pride and hope for your public and private life margaret's preface to woman in the nineteenth century bears the date of november eighteen forty four the greater part of the work as has already been said had appeared in the dial under a different title for which she in this place expresses a preference as better suited to the theme she proposes to treat of man versus men woman versus women means to her the leading idea and ideal of humanity as wronged and hindered from development by the thoughtless and ignorant action of the race itself the title finally given was adopted in accordance with the wishes of friends who thought the other wanting in clearness by man i mean both man and woman these are the two halves of one thought i lay no especial stress on the welfare of either i believe that the development of the one cannot be effected without that of the other in the name of a common humanity then margaret solicits from her readers a sincere and patient attention praying women particularly to study for themselves the freedom which the law should secure to them it is this that she seeks not to be replaced by the largest extension of partial privileges and may truth unpolluted by prejudice vanity or selfishness be granted daily more and more as the due inheritance and only valuable conquest for us all the leading thought formulated by margaret in the title of her preference is scarcely carried out in her work at least not with any systematic parallelism her study of the position and possibilities of woman is not the less one of unique value and interest the work shows throughout the grasp and mastery of her mind her faith in principles her reliance upon them in the interpretation of events make her strong and bold we do not find in this book one careless expression which would slur over the smallest detail of womanly duty or absolve from the attainment of any or all of the feminine graces of these margaret deeply knows the value but in her view these duties will never be noble these graces sincere until women stand as firmly as men do upon the ground of individual freedom and legal justice if principles could be established particulars would adjust themselves aright ascertain the true destiny of woman give her legitimate hopes and a standard within herself what woman needs is not as a woman to act a rule but as a nature to grow as an intellect to discern as a soul to live freely and unimpeded she would have every arbitrary barrier thrown down every path laid open to woman as freely as to man and she insists that this inward and outward freedom shall be acknowledged as a right not yielded as a concession the limits of our present undertaking do not allow us to give here an extended notice of this work which has long belonged to general literature and is perhaps the most widely known of margaret's writings we must however dwell sufficiently upon its merits to commend it to the men and women of to-day as equally interesting to both and as entirely appropriate to the standpoint of the present time nothing that has been written or said in later days has made its teaching superfluous it demands all that is asked to-day for women and that on the broadest and most substantial ground the usual arguments against the emancipation of women from a position of political and social inferiority are all carefully considered and carefully answered much study is shown of the prominent women of history and of the condition of the sex at different periods much understanding also of the ideal womanhood which has always had its place in the van of human progress and of the actual womanhood which has mostly been bred and trained in an opposite direction we have then in the book a thorough statement both of the shortcomings of women themselves and of the wrongs which they in turn suffer from society the cause of the weak against the strong is advanced with sound and rational argument we will not say that a thoughtful reader of today will endorse every word of this remarkable treatise its fervor here and there runs into vague enthusiasm and much is asserted about souls and their future which thinkers of the present day do not so confidently assume to know the extent of margaret's reading is shown in her command of historical and mythical illustration her beloved greeks furnish her with some portraits of ideal men in relation with ideal women as becomes a champion she knows the friends and the enemies of the cause which she makes her own here for example is a fine discrimination the spiritual tendency is toward the elevation of woman but the intellectual by itself is not so plato sometimes seems penetrated by that high idea of love which considers man and woman as the twofold expression of one thought but then again plato the man of intellect treats woman in the republic as property and in the timaeus says that man if he misuse the privileges of one life shall be degraded into the form of a woman margaret mentions among the women whom she considered helpers and favorers of the new womanhood miss edgeworth mrs Jameson, and our own miss sedgwick among the writers of the other sex whose theories point to the same end she speaks of swedenborg fourier and goethe the first name comes to this through his mystical appreciation of spiritual life the second by his systematic distribution of gifts and opportunities according to the principles of ideal justice the world-wise goethe everywhere recognizes the presence and significance of the feminine principle and after treating with tenderness and reverence its frailest as well as its finest impersonations lays the seal of all attraction in the lap of the eternal womanly nearer at hand and in the intimacy of personal intercourse margaret found a noble friend to her cause the late dr channing whose enlarged and religious nature shared every onward impulse of his time though his thoughts followed his wishes with a deliberative caution which belonged to his habits and temperament was greatly interested in these expectations for women he regarded them as souls each of which had a destiny of its own incalculable to other minds and whose leading it must follow guided by the light of a private conscience she tells us that the doctor's delicate and fastidious taste was not shocked by angelina grimke's appearance in public and that he fully endorsed mrs jamieson's defence of her sex in a way from which women usually shrink because if they express themselves on such subjects with sufficient force and clearness to do any good they are exposed to assaults whose vulgarity makes them painful Margaret ends her treatise with a synopsis of her humanitarian creed, of which we can here give only enough to show its general scope and tenor. Here is the substance of it, mostly in her own words: Man is a being of twofold relations, to nature beneath, and intelligences above him. The earth is his school, God his object, life and thought his means of attaining it. The growth of man is twofold masculine and feminine these terms for margaret represent other qualities to wit energy and harmony power and beauty intellect and love these faculties belong to both sexes yet the two are distinguished by the preponderance of the opposing characteristics were these opposites in perfect harmony they would respond to and complete each other why does this harmony not prevail because as man came before woman power before beauty he kept his ascendancy and enslaved her woman in turn rose by her moral power which a growing civilization recognized man became more just and kind but failed to see that woman was half himself and that by the laws of their common being he could never reach his true proportions while she remained short of hers and so it has gone on to our day pure love poetic genius and true religion have done much to vindicate and to restore the natural harmony the time has now come when a clearer vision and better action are possible when man and woman may stand as pillars of one temple priests of one worship this hope should attain its amplest fruition in our own country And will do so if the principles from which sprang our national life are adhered to women should now be the best helpers of women of men we need only ask the removal of arbitrary barriers the question naturally suggests itself what use will woman make of her liberty after so many ages of restraint margaret says in answer that this freedom will not be immediately given but even if it were to come suddenly she finds in her own sex a reverence for decorums and limits inherited and enhanced from generation to generation which years of other life could not efface she believes also that woman as woman is characterized by a native love of proportion a greek moderation which would immediately create a restraining party and would gradually establish such rules as are needed to guard life without impeding it this opinion of margaret's is in direct contradiction to one very generally held today, namely that women tend to more extremes than men do and are often seen to exaggerate to irrational frenzy the feelings which agitate the male portion of the community the reason for this if honestly sought can easily be found women in whom the power of individual judgment has been either left without training or forcibly suppressed will naturally be led by impulse and enthusiasm and will be almost certain to inflame still further the kindled passions of the men to whom they stand related margaret knew this well enough but she had also known women of a very different type had trained and disciplined themselves by the help of that nice sense of measure which belongs to any normal human intelligence and which in women is easily reached and rendered active it was upon this best and wisest womanhood that margaret relied for the standard which should redeem the sex from violence and headlong excitement here as elsewhere she shows her faith in the good elements of human nature and sees them in her prophetic vision as already crowned with an enduring victory i stand in the sunny noon of life objects no longer glitter in the dews of morning neither are yet softened by the shadows of evening every spot is seen every chasm revealed climbing the dusty hill some fair effigies that once stood for human destiny have been broken Yet enough is left to point distinctly to the glories of that destiny. Margaret gives us, as the end of the whole matter, this sentence. Always the soul says to us all, Cherish your best hopes as a faith, and abide by them in action. Such shall be the effectual, fervent means to their fulfillment. In this sunny noon of life, things new and strange were awaiting Margaret her days among kindred and country people were nearly ended the last volume given by her to the american public was entitled papers on art and literature of these a number had already appeared in print in her preface she mentions the essay on american literature as one now published for the first time and also as a very imperfect sketch which she hopes to complete by some later utterance she commends it to us however as written with sincere and earnest feelings and from a mind that cares for nothing but what is permanent and essential she thinks it should therefore have some merit if only in the power of suggestion it has for us the greater interest of making known margaret's opinion of her compeers in literature and with her appreciation of these not always just or adequate her views of the noble national life to which american literature in its maturer growth should give expression margaret says at the outset that some thinkers may accuse her of writing about a thing that does not exist for says she it does not follow because many books are written by persons born in america that there exists an american literature books which imitate or represent the thoughts and life of europe do not constitute an american literature before such can exist an original idea must animate this nation and fresh currents of life must call into life fresh thoughts along its shores in reviewing these first sentences we are led to say that they partly commend themselves to our judgment and partly do not here as in much that margaret has written a solid truth is found side by side with an illusion the statement that an american idea should lie at the foundation of our national life and its expression is a truth too often lost sight of by those to whom it most imports on the other hand the great body of the world's literature is like an ocean in whose waves and tides there is a continuity which sets at naught the imposition of definite limits literature is first of all human and american books which express human thought feeling and experience are american literature even if they show no distinctive national feature in what follows margaret confesses that her own studies have been largely of the classics of foreign countries she has found she says a model in the simplest masculine minds of the great latin authors she has observed too the features of kindred between the character of the ancient roman and that of the Briton of today. she remarks upon the reaction which was felt in her time against the revolutionary opposition to the mother country this reaction she feels may be carried too far what suits great britain with her insular position and consequent need to concentrate and intensify her life her limited monarchy and spirit of trade does not suit a mixed race continually enriched with new blood from other stocks the most unlike that of our first descent with ample field and verge enough to range in and leave every impulse free an abundant opportunity to develop a genius wide and full as our rivers luxuriant and impassioned as our vast prairies rooted in strength as the rocks on which the puritan fathers landed margaret anticipates for this western hemisphere the rise and development of such a genius but says that this cannot come until the fusion of races shall be more advanced nor until this nation shall attain sufficient moral and intellectual dignity to prize moral and intellectual no less highly than political freedom she finds the earnest of this greater time in the movements already leading to social reforms and in the stern sincerity of elect individuals but thinks that the influences at work must go deeper before we can have poets at the time of her writing eighteen forty four to forty five she considers literature as in a dim and struggling state with pecuniary results exceedingly pitiful the state of things gets worse and worse as less and less is offered for works demanding great devotion of time and labor and the publisher obliged to regard the transaction as a matter of business demands of the author only what will find an immediate market for he cannot afford to take anything else margaret thinks that matters were better in this respect during the first half-century of our republican existence the country was not then so deluged with the dingy page reprinted from europe nor did americans fail to answer sharply the question who reads an american book but the books of that period to which she accords much merit seem to her so reflected from england in their thought and inspiration that she inclines to call them english rather than american having expressed these general views margaret proceeds to pass in review the prominent american writers of the time beginning with the department of history in this she accords to prescott industry the choice of invaluable material and the power of clear and elegant arrangement she finds his books however wonderfully tame and characterized by the absence of thought in mr bancroft she recognizes a writer of a higher order possessed of leading thoughts by whose aid he groups his facts yet by her own account she has read him less diligently than his brother historian in ethics and philosophy she mentions as likely to live and be blessed and honored in the later time the names of channing and emerson of the first she says his leading idea of the dignity of human nature is one of vast results and the peculiar form in which he advocated it had a great work to do in this new world on great questions he took middle ground and sought a panoramic view he was not well acquainted with man on the impulsive and passionate side of his nature so that his view of character was sometimes narrow but always noble margaret turns from the great divine to her conquered friend as one turns from shade to sunshine the two men are alike she says in dignity of purpose disinterest and purity but of the two she recognizes mr emerson as the profound thinker and man of ideas dealing with causes rather than effects his influence appears to her deep not wide but constantly extending its circles he is to her a harbinger of the better day irving cooper miss sedgwick and mrs child are briefly mentioned but with characteristic appreciation the style of story current in the magazines is pronounced by her flimsy beyond any texture that was ever spun or dreamed of by the mind of man our friend now devotes herself to the poets of america at whose head she places mr bryant alone genuineness appears to be his chief merit in her eyes for she does not find his genius either fertile or comprehensive but his poetry is purely the language of his inmost nature and the simple lovely garb in which his thoughts are arrayed a direct gift from the muse halleck willis and dana receive each their meat of praise at her hands passing over what is said and well said of them we come to a criticism on mr longfellow which is much at variance with his popular reputation and which though acute and well hit will hardly commend itself to-day to the judgment either of the learned or unlearned for even if mr longfellow's inspiration be allowed to be a reflected rather than an original one the mirror of his imagination is so pure and broad and the images it reflects are so beautiful that the world of our time confesses itself greatly his debtor the spirit of his life too has put the seal of a rare earnestness and sincerity upon his legacy to the world of letters but let us hear margaret's estimate of him longfellow is artificial and imitative he borrows incessantly and mixes what he borrows so that it does not appear to the best advantage the ethical part of his writing has a hollow second-hand sound he has however elegance a love of the beautiful and a fancy for what is large and manly if not a full sympathy with it his verse breathes at times much sweetness though imitative he is not mechanical in an article of some length printed in connection with this but first published in the new york tribune margaret's dispraise of this poet is in even larger proportion to her scant commendation of him this review was called forth by the appearance of an illustrated edition of mr longfellow's poems most of which had already appeared in smaller volumes and in the annuals which once figured so largely in the show aesthetics of society mr greeley in some published reminiscences tells us that margaret undertook this task with great reluctance he on the other hand was too much overwhelmed with business to give the volume proper notice and so persuaded margaret to deal with it as she could after formulating a definition of poetry which she considers large enough to include all excellence she laments the dearth of true poetry and asserts that never was a time when satirists were more needed to scourge from parnassus the magpies who are devouring the food scattered there for the singing birds this scourge she somewhat exercises upon writers who did not write because they felt obliged to relieve themselves of the swelling thought within but as an elegant exercise which may win them rank and reputation above the crowd their lamp is not lit by the sacred and inevitable lightning from above but carefully fed by their own will to be seen of men these metaphors no longer express the most accepted view of poetical composition it has been found that those who write chiefly to relieve themselves are very apt to do so at the expense of the reading public the inevitable lightning with which some are stricken does not lead to such good work as does the lamp carefully fed by steadfast will whose tenor need not be summarily judged these strictures are intended to apply to versifiers in england as well as in america yet she says there is a middle class composed of men of little original poetic power but of much poetic taste and sensibility whom we would not wish to have silenced they do no harm but much good if only their minds are not confounded by those of a higher class by educating in others the faculties dominant in themselves in this class she places mr longfellow towards whom she confesses a coolness in consequence of the exaggerated praises that have been bestowed upon him perhaps the best thing she says about him is that nature with him whether human or external is always seen through the windows of literature mr longfellow did indeed dwell in the beautiful house of culture but with a heart deeply sensitive to the touch of the humanity that lay encamped around it in the psalm of life his banner blood-red with sympathy was hung upon the outer wall and all his further parley with the world was through the silver trumpet of peace according much praise to william ellery channing and not a little to cornelius matthews a now almost forgotten writer margaret declares mr lowell to be absolutely wanting in the true spirit and tone of poesy she says further his interest in the moral questions of the day has supplied the want of vitality in himself his great facility at versification has enabled him to fill the ear with a copious stream of pleasant sound but his verse is stereotyped his thought sounds no depth and posterity will not remember him the biglow papers were not yet written nor the vision of sir still less was foreseen the period of struggle whose victorious close drew from mr lowell a commemoration ode worthy to stand beside mr emerson's boston hymn in presenting a study of margaret's thoughts and life it seemed to us impossible to omit some consideration of her pronounced opinions concerning the most widely known of her american compeers in literature having brought these before the reader we find it difficult to say the right word concerning them in accepting or rejecting a criticism we should consider first its intention secondly its method and in the third place its standard if the first be honourable the second legitimate and the third substantial we shall adopt the conclusion arrived at as a just result of analytic art in the judgments just quoted we must believe the intention to have been a sincere one but neither the method nor the standard satisfies us the one is arbitrary the other unreal our friend's appreciation of her contemporaries was influenced at the time of her writing by idiosyncrasies of her own which could not give the law to the general public These were shown in her great dislike of the smooth and stereotyped in manner, and her impatience of the common level of thought and sentiment. The unusual had for her a great attraction. It promised originality, which to her seemed a condition of truth itself. She has said in this very paper, no man can be absolutely true to himself, eschewing Kant, compromise servile imitation and complacence without becoming original here we seem to find a confusion between two conceptions of the word original originality in one acceptation is vital and universal we originate from the start and do not become original but the power to develop forms of thought which shall deserve to be called original is a rare gift and one which even conscience cannot command at will the sentences here quoted and commented on show us that margaret almost without her own knowledge was sometimes a partisan of the intellectual reaction of the day which attacked in the name of freedom the fine insensible tyranny of form and precedent in its place were temporarily enthroned the spontaneous and passionate Miracles were expected to follow this change of base, oracles from children, availing philosophies from people who were rebels against all philosophy. Margaret's passionate hopefulness at times carried her within this sphere, where, however, her fine perceptions and love of thorough culture did not allow her to remain. End of chapter 9